I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022, and this is episode 192 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Uh, So this week's best thing, I'm going to go with the episode of Atlanta that came out this week, uh, season four, episode eight, The Goof Who Sat by the Door. So Atlanta is, has been a really crazy show. Uh, I'm not sure what's happening at any point in time, but this episode was a mockumentary and it was a mockumentary about the fake origins of a real movie, a goofy movie which is a Disney movie about Goofy, which I had literally never heard of. I guess it's really popular with like millennials and I'm not not a millennial. My husband was like, yeah, you're too old. You don't remember this because he's younger than I am and he does know this movie. But regardless, you don't actually need to know the movie. I'm sure it helps if you are familiar with it. But um, yeah, it is a really well done mockumentary that at certain points I was like looking up, are these people real? Like, is any of this real? What What's happening? It seamlessly blends like real life events, the the riots in '92 after Rodney King verdict, um, w- with the real movie, and it's just so well done. It has nothing to do with anything about the show. Like, in order to connect it with anything they've done before, even the season three episodes that had nothing to do with any of the characters of the show, like they don't show up at all in this. Um, those I could understand more because they felt more thematically related to what was happening in the rest of the season. This season is totally bananas off the wall. I don't get it. I'm not afraid to admit that I have no idea what's happening. I haven't enjoyed this season as much as last season, but this episode is just great. I thought it was great. And, you know, you don't need to know anything about the show to watch it if you are interested. I think mockumentaries as like a genre are really interesting. I actually uh, started making one many, many years ago. I wanted to make a mockumentary on the slam poetry scene. And, you know, I was, I majored in film. I was an independent film person for a little while. And so I did, I shot a couple of things. So I, I knew a lot of slam poets. I had been involved in slam poetry when I lived in Oakland. And then when I came back and moved back to the DC area. So yeah, I started shooting a few things. If you're familiar with Al Letson, who was a slam poet, he's now like a radio host, podcast host. He's like maybe on TV or something. I don't know. He got, his career went places that from from coming from slam poetry, who, who would have known? But he was in it. Um, and then some other like DC area poets. And <laughs> there was like a little clip, like a proof of concept, because I was going to try to do a mini mockumentary and then try to get funding for um, a full length one. And it just it never worked out. I have lots and lots of ideas that when it comes to putting them to into practice, if if it involves like a lot of other people other than me, it was very difficult for me to do so. I can write books and it's just me that does them and that makes it a lot easier. And like the documentary that I did make was with a group of other people and that makes it easier, obviously. You know, I mean, making a film by yourself is very hard. Um, anyway, I liked it as the best thing. My writing update. I'm, I'm going slow and I'm not sure exactly why. I'm trying to figure out, is it what I'm writing like I'm not super enthused about it or am I just tired? Am I a little bit burnt out? I don't know. 
I'm doing a lot of detail work right now, which is sort of draining. And when I look back at what I've written, I like it. But I didn't end up writing on Friday, and I haven't written this weekend. And I'm just giving myself permission and grace with that, because forcing it when I'm feeling this way is not a good idea. So I'll come back fresh on Monday and finish the scene that I probably should have finished on Wednesday, <laughs> but didn't. And yeah, that's I'm world building as I go. I'm making lots of decisions. I'm doing lots of research. As I mentioned last week, there's things I just don't know about this this portion of the world that I'm in. And it's making those decisions. It's just causing a lot of decision fatigue, I think, which I have to just, you know, kind of push through and or just give myself the time to do it. And not much to report on on that. I um I'm pushing ahead. I'm just taking it scene by scene and it's kind of a little early to feel <laughs> to feel bad about the book. I, I think I'm oh, I don't know. I'm less than 20,000 words in. I think I'm maybe 15,000 words in. I'm in chapter 6. But um yeah. So it's going. That's all I can say about that. I'm really, really enjoying the Book Exploder podcast, which I've talked about before. It is part of the Song Exploder podcast. And in it, so it's kind of like, they're calling it a mini series. But every few episodes, um, they'll do a Book Exploder where they take a portion, a small portion of a book, in this case, a short story, and then talk to the author about it and have the author read it and just dive deep into it. So the most recent episode is with George Saunders, who I haven't actually read any of his work before, but they're dealing with a short story of his. And there were just some parts of the interview that I felt were really poignant. Um, so apparently the short story is from the perspective of a 16-year-old girl. And George Saunders is an older white man. I don't know exactly how old. I don't know if he said yeah, how old it was, 50s, 60s, something like that. And so he was talking about how he was able to write from the perspective of a 16-year-old girl. And a lot of it was just not, you know, he talked about trying to, you know, embody the mind of a 16-year-old girl and failing, but then remembering himself as a boy, as a 16-year-old boy. And, you know, the idea that uh, we are, we're more the same than different. What he says is, it's such a campaign trail cliche, but there really is more that joins us than separates us. So if I say, all right, I'm going to imagine being a 95-year-old former prison guard. My working theory is I got him in me. I've got him in there somewhere. You're just saying I can get close enough on the assumption that we're all fundamentally the same. And then you kind of decorate it with surface things. And he goes on to say that, I think basically it's that exciting assumption that especially since a person really isn't in the ultimate sense, their gender or their age or their race or their sexual orientation or their anything, they're just a soul and we all have that. So I have a lot of confidence that we can get pretty close to another consciousness. Just like you don't really chop the assistant in half when you're a magician, you're just trying to make it look like you do. And I think that much we can do. And it's always like this sort of battle between you know the, the fiction writer, at least, the fiction writer's mind and needing to be able to embody any character, every character. You know, we write from certain points of view, but we also have to know what's going on in the minds and hearts of the characters whose point of view we're not in, because we have to know what they're doing, what their actions are. And that involves, to a certain degree, embodying them and, and becoming them. And I love how he said, like, 
we're just a soul. Like we all have souls. Because when I'm faced with writing a character who is very unlike me, and I've been doing that more and more and trying to push myself to write characters who do not have my personality and might not have my background. And I'm writing fantasies and no one has my background anyway, right? But we have to get inside of them and get pretty close to another consciousness. That's the job. That's what we have to do. And it's part of the magic. It's the trick of it. It's convincing you that I am, you know, a 30-year-old warrior in this land where people have magic. And I'm also, you know, a 500-year-old queen who's been entombed. And, you know, I'm a 17-year-old girl who's been to prison. You know, like all of these things that I haven't done, these experiences I haven't had, I have to become in order to effectively tell you their stories. And it does butt against this modern, very recent idea that, you know, we can only tell stories of people who, whose identities match ours in a certain way. And I, and I do think that we're going to look back on this era, this period of time, whenever that idea started capturing people, and not too long in the future, look back on it sort of in chagrin, maybe, separating the can you write the story from should you publish and make money off of the story or should you take away space, quote unquote, from other people who could be publishing those kinds of stories and haven't been able to? You know, I think those are two separate questions. I think any fiction writer should be able to embody any character from any background. Will they do it as well as someone who matches that background? Of course not. But given that you never, you're not writing about people who exactly match your experience. Any other black person could take a stab at any of my characters and come at it from a completely different perspective. And that's part of the job. Like, and that's part of the magic too. That's the gig. And it sort of does butt up against this idea of authenticity and what that means. Can I tell a story about someone in a concentration camp versus another person my age who maybe listened to their grandparents who were in concentration camps and absorbed that and has that as part of their cultural and their history and their familial history. It's going to be way more authentic than no matter any kind of research that I could do about it in telling my story. But as a Black person uh, in America, listening to my parents and grandparents and other elders talk about the oppression that they have experienced in this country, having gone through experiences of discrimination myself, you know, we're drawing from the same well, we're drawing from that same soul. And it doesn't take that to, to be able to relate to that. Like any person has experienced hardship and trauma and difficulty. And that's part of the soul that we all have and can draw from it and extrapolate that into another experience. It's not going to be the exact experience, but it's fiction. And so it never is. And so, yes, on the one hand, I think that it is the fiction writer's job to be able to embody anybody on this planet and any other planet and any other species. Like we have to embody everything. We have to be able to write everything. And then you're taking it from a business perspective and saying, do I want to read the Holocaust fiction story from a 13-year-old Chinese boy, you know, or something? I don't know. Someone who has no relation to it or, you know, the 30-year-old non-Jewish white man who might want to tell that story. And I get this probably a bad example because I don't know if there is a history of Jewish people being kept out of the publishing industry. But do I want to read the slave narrative from, you know, the 30-year-old white man? Um, I don't. <laughs> don't want to read that. 
Might there be some words to say about the publisher in this day and age who publishes that? Certainly. But I think that the narrative sometimes gets confused as to should they be able to write it versus should someone publish it? And if they want to write it and self-publish it, I think the ability to be able to write it is something that everyone should have. And I do wonder if we are limiting like the artistry by the identitarianism, you know, but it's always this push and pull between art and business. That's what publishing is. It's, you know, we're writing, many of us are writing from our hearts and also trying to create products for consumption. And there's always a tension there. There's always a battle there on a number of levels. And so I just thought that that what he said was made a lot of sense on, on so many levels. It doesn't have to be like the controversial identity issues of the day, like race and gender and sexual orientation. It can be, you know, can I write a 90-year-old Black man, being that I am not one? Can I write a gay man or a gay woman? Um, can I write anything that I am not? You know, it, it boils down to if you're if you tell people they can't write certain things, how close does it have to hew to who you are before you have permission, in quotes, to to write that? Once again, separate from the publishing uh, questions and all of that, which I which is a completely separate topic. And yeah, as I approach different kinds of characters and trying to make them authentic and trying to live inside their heads, um, those are just the things that I that I think about. But yes, Book Exploder, I'm really enjoying all of the episodes. I haven't read any of the books that they've talked about so far, and I don't think I will. I mean, they haven't they haven't enticed me to read those books yet, but I I do find it fascinating to listen to the breakdown of these small sections and and just to hear from the authors about their process, which is always fascinating to me. Other things watched, we saw Black Adam, which I guess is getting really bad reviews. It was one of the better DC movies, quite frankly. Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't know who any of those characters were, but I don't think most people will. And, you know, you can't really compare it to to what Marvel was doing with really carefully setting up all of these characters. I think that they did a good job in Black Adam of introducing us quickly, visually to all of these characters and their powers and building this team of the Justice Society, which I didn't know was a thing either. And yeah, I... I thought it was cool. I enjoyed it. It it was fun. It was a lot better than a lot of those other DC movies that have been coming out. So make your own decision. <laughs> and then I started watching, almost against my will, uh, Vampire Academy, which is on Peacock. The reason was I got a coupon from Fandango. <laughs> I guess when I bought the tickets to Black Adam, I got a coupon for uh, Peacock for like $12 for six months. And I was like, okay. That sounds like a good deal to me. So I got it. And then I started watching Vampire Academy, which is based on the series of books by Rochelle Mead that absolutely captivated my entire life for like a year when they were coming out. I just couldn't stop reading them. They were so addictive. If you've read Vampire Academy, you know what I'm talking about. And I was curious because they made a movie a few years ago that was awful, which is one of the things I think about when people talk about adapting their books and like getting options and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you can get an option, you can get a movie made and it could be terrible, like Vampire Academy. (laughs) So the TV show 
is not as bad as the movie, although it is not great. However, I am still watching it. Um, after the first episode, I was like, oh no, I don't think I'm going to continue. But it had a good hook and I kept watching. And it's like a love-hate, mostly hate-watching, not quite. I'm not going to go into depth, but there's something that's keeping me there, even though the acting is not the best. And uh, there's a lot of, it's very low budget, but it's it's shot in Spain, I believe. And so things look amazing. They're in this castle, they're in these all these cool locations. I like what they're doing with the costume design. It's kind of like a Victorian era thing, even though it's in the modern day, but they have their own world. The vampires have their own society. And so they dress differently than regular humans. And that's all cool. Like they put effort into it and thought, and I appreciate that. And I don't really remember the books. It's been many years since I read them. But little things come back to me and the characters feel very different from my sense of my memory of them. Last thing on this, uh, they introduced the character of Adrian, who was my very favorite character in the series, in the book series. And at first, I didn't know that it was Adrian. Like, yes, there's a character named Adrian on the screen, but that's the Adrian? Wait, what? It's kind of like that. So it's definitely an interpretation that is different. Although if I reread the books and had any memory of what actually happened, maybe I would feel differently. But on its own, as a television show... It is very watchable and it is holding my attention in a way that I, it is almost unwilling. So, so this episode comes out on Halloween. Halloween is not my holiday. I haven't dressed up in many, many years. I had a pair of roller skates, like the sneaker kind of roller skates. I still have them somewhere, but whenever I was required to have a costume, I would always go with 2D from Backs of Life and just put on my roller skates and that would be my costume. Uh, <laughs> Although once I did win a costume concert, a costume contest when I lived in Norfolk, Virginia, I went as Bonnie from Pulp Fiction. Deep cut. You're going to have to look that one up if you don't know. She doesn't. Well, she appears on screen from the back very briefly. And I just had like this nurse's costume that I got at the party store. So technically those are the two costumes that I've had. But yeah, I don't really do Halloween. So happy Halloween for those who celebrate. I hope that you have fun. I don't really like candy that much. I mean, I eat candy. I'm not like a monster, but like I don't enjoy it that much. And I don't have that kind of sweet tooth. I I would rather eat cake. (laughs) So I will... Oh, goals. My goals, keep writing. Hopefully get my my mojo back. Um, I'm trying to fill the well. I don't know if filling the well with Vampire Academy is the best idea. Maybe I need something a little more inspiring, but that's where we're at right now. So I will keep keep at it. And... uh, I think I need to get past the first act into the part of the book that I'm really excited about and then maybe come back and see if, A, if it's better than I think, or B, I can find my joy in the beginning of the book, find some kind of joy, because right now there's no joy. But there are parts coming up that I'm really excited about writing, so looking forward to that. And I will talk to you next week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. Email me at podcast at lpnlb.com. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.